Today's scripture lesson comes from Psalm 23, King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Kate, for reading that so beautifully. It's such a familiar passage, but it's nice to hear other voices Mm -hmm. read that. Thank you. You know, every week, preachers around the country are discerning what to preach and what to choose from as far as scriptures are concerned. And uh, the lectionary texts are usually read in various churches, Catholic churches, Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, mainline Protestant churches. And it's a choice of four scriptures, the Hebrew scripture, the Psalm, the gospel lesson, and the epistle lesson. And as you know, over the years, I find myself uh, led to preach on the gospel more often than not because I find Jesus, the Christ, to be so compelling and so needed in our world and so helpful as we are trying to follow Jesus. But in picking the scriptures, I'm listening to you, I'm listening to what's going on in the world, I'm listening to what's going on within my own soul and listening for what God wants us to to hear, what scripture God wants us to lift up. And this week, for some reason, I feel led to the psalm, to preach on Psalm 23. Maybe it's for someone here. Maybe it's for someone who's worshiping with us online. Maybe it's for me. I don't know. And there's so many directions we could go just on Psalm 23. Many years ago, I would visit a parishioner who had Alzheimer's disease. And when I would walk into his room at the nursing home, over the years, he would remember less and less. And he would remember who we were in his circle of friends and family less and less. To the point where every time I would go in to visit him, I would need to introduce myself, explain to him who I was and which church I was from. And it was kind of a routine that we would have, the same conversation. Some of you know people who are living with Alzheimer's and you know the routine of those same conversations. It's, it's hard for 
family members to have those conversations because introducing ourselves as a, a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister is painful when we have to explain that to someone who we've loved for so long. There was one thing that I did not have to explain again to my friend who is living in the landscape of Alzheimer's. At the end of our visit, I would say, would you like to say some scripture together? And he would say, yes. And I would begin, the Lord is my shepherd. And he would continue, I shall not want. He didn't forget the 23rd Psalm. It was part of who he was. It was part of his soul. And even though his mind was fading, the scripture was a part of him. About 25 years ago, I was teaching a confirmation class and I invited the confirmands to learn by heart the 23rd Psalm. And one of the mothers of the confirmands, uh, she came up to me during the week and she said, you know, Pastor, I, I'm really reluctant to have my kid learn the 23rd Psalm because it's such a sad psalm. I said, tell me more. She said, we always hear this at funerals. And, and of all the scriptures, why, why should we have our kids learn something that is so associated with death? My answer then, um, which was a surprise to me 25 years ago, but I appreciate her question more now, is these kids someday are probably going to go through a difficult time. And I would like them to have some scripture at their fingertips that's in their heads that they can recite when they're going through darkness, when they're going through challenges, when they're feeling afraid. I want them to have something to equip them to know that God is with them in the midst of it all, especially when things are difficult. Now, I know you're a long way from confirmation, and you may have already committed the 23rd Psalm to memory. But if you haven't, or if you need a refresher, Maybe this gift is for you. Did you all get one of these prayer cards on your way into church today? If you didn't, just raise your hand and Dave or Becky will bring one to you. Do you have one of these? If you need one, just keep your hand up. We've got 200 of these. And I'll tell you, they're from Bradley's funeral home. Who John was gracious enough when I called him up I said, John, do you have any of the 23rd Psalm? And he said, I can print some of these up. So I invite you, if you need one, just raise your hand. And 
If you need one who are worshiping with us online, just send me an email or send our office staff an email and we'll send one to you. We want to put this in your hands. It's the King James Version, my mother's favorite version of the Bible. We hope that you will read this whenever you need to read it and perhaps let these words soak into you, into us. Maybe we need to put this card somewhere where we need a reminder that the Good Shepherd is with us. Maybe it's in our cubicle. Maybe it's in our corner office. Maybe it's on our nightstand before we go to bed. Maybe it's on our sink when we're getting up in the morning. Maybe it's on our dashboard, but I would suggest you read this while the car is stopped. Can you imagine getting pulled over, not for texting, but for reading the 23rd Psalm? I don't know if that would work with the police or not, but... A few weeks ago, I was, it was my joy to um, teach the senior high Sunday school class, and some of you I see were there. I also spent some time with the Men's Breakfast Fellowship teaching something called Lectio Divina, which is the way the early church would read scriptures. Lectio Divina is Latin for holy reading. Lectio, from which we get the word lectionary. Divina, divine. And the early church would read scriptures from a meditative space, trusting that the Holy Spirit that was breathed into us in our baptism could guide our thoughts and our hearts to a word or a phrase or an image that would capture our attention and might be a word from God. And so they would read not for length or historical content. They would read until a word or phrase or image jumped off the page to them if they were reading or caught their ear, and whatever that word or phrase or image was or is, that's what we rest with. That's what we have conversation with God about. God, I heard very clearly this word or phrase or image. I don't know what you have for me in this, but I trust there is something that is a gift that I need to unpack. There is something in this word or phrase, or image that may help me in my spiritual journey. And so this morning, very briefly, I want to invite us to read the 23rd Psalm together, but pay attention to what Elton Trueblood, a good Quaker, used to say, look for the word that glistens. Look for the word that just captures your attention. Or if you're auditory learners, listen with the ears of your heart for a word or phrase or image that captures your attention. And then tune the rest out. Just focus on that. And I, we're going to do this very briefly. Some Christians these days do this for much longer than just a minute. But there will be a time of maybe a minute's worth of silence where you can begin 
a dialogue, an inner prayer with God about this word or phrase or image that has leapt off this card for you, there is no wrong answer. There is no wrong answer. Let us say this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me besides the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we give thanks for this word that you've given to us. Amen. Friends, what did you hear? What word or phrase or image? Restoreth. Mercy. Goodness. Whatever that word is, I invite you to spend some time with God today, this afternoon, maybe this evening, continuing that inner dialogue with God. What is it that you have for me in that word? As I've been practicing Lectio Divina this week, I've been led to the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm aware of so much death that we are dealing with as, as a people and people I love who are hurting because of loved ones dying, missing someone. Today on Mother's Day, where so many of our mothers and mother figures 
are no longer with us and we miss them. Um, And I'm also so aware of how difficult contemplation is and silent prayer is because when we are in that space, something in us is dying and we resist that. I resist that. And it's usually a part of our ego or a part of ourself that needs to die if we're going to keep maturing in the Christian faith. You know, the enemy of most shepherds is wolves who don't have the best interest of the sheep in mind. About nine years ago, one of the first conversations I had with Richard Rohr was about waking up in the middle of the night, actually not in the middle of the night, about four o'clock, and having to go to the bathroom, getting back into bed, and not being able to go back to sleep. (laughs) I see some of you are nodding. I'm glad I'm not alone. And he admitted that that's the problem he has too. And he referred to the hours between four, five, six as the hour of the lone wolf. When the wolf comes to steal our sleep. He's written about this and given some guidance as to how we might navigate that space in ways that are helpful to us and that may even help us get back to sleep. He writes in his new book, The Universal Christ. The subtitle is, How a Forgotten Reality Can Change Everything We See, Hope For, and Believe. This book debuted on the New York Times bestseller list at number 11. I'm reading in chapter 17. He writes, foundationally, we must find a prayer form that actually invades our unconscious or nothing changes at any depth. Usually, this will be some form of centering prayer walking meditation, inner practices of letting go, shadow work, or deliberately undergoing a longer period of silence. Whatever you choose, it will feel more like unlearning than learning, more like surrendering than accomplishing. This is probably why so many resist contemplation to begin with, because it feels more like a shedding of thoughts in general than attaining new or good ones. It feels more like just letting go than accomplishing anything. I continue on, the, on page 224. So let's try a practice leading to embodied knowing. I discovered an especially good one in the Book of Privy Counseling, a lesser-known classic written by the author of The Cloud of Unknowing. 
I especially like this practice because it is so simple and for me so effective even in the middle of the night when I awake and cannot get back to sleep during what some call the hour of the wolf between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. when the psyche is most undefended. Others simply call it insomnia. I warn you, now this is really important. He says, I warn you, this pattern gets worse as you grow older. So you will do yourself a favor to learn the following practice early. I have summarized the author's exact words for our very practical purposes here. This is my paraphrase. First, take God at face value as God is. Accept God's good graciousness as you would a plain, simple, soft compress for the sick. When you were sick as a child, did your mother or father ever just put a cold compress on your head? Or maybe a warm compress. Do you remember that feeling? Try it. It's something physical that may actually calm our fearful selves. Second, know how your mind will play their games. Stop analyzing yourself or God. You can do without wasting so much of your energy deciding if something is good or bad, grace-given or temperament-driven, divine or human. Third, be encouraged. Offer up your simple, naked being to the joyful being of God. For you two are one in grace, although separate by nature. And finally, don't focus on what you are, but simply that you are. I want to close with some, something that I have recently found helpful. Actually, some of you who were here at Tessa's funeral, we were looking for a, a spiritual ritual that would allow everyone, religious folks and non-religious folks, spiritual but not religious, to have access to something that would calm us down. A friend of mine does grief work. She goes into high schools and helps them, young people in particular, to process their griefs, their losses. And she says there's something physiological that happens when we take our hands and place them on our hearts. I invite you to do this. Just put your hand on your heart and relax your shoulders. And feel the warmth of your hand or the warmth of your chest. If you're doing this in bed, you might even be able to feel your heart beating or your heart may feel your hand and feel 
cared for, comforted. The more we do this as an intentional practice, we will know that our heart rate will slow down a bit. Our blood pressure will decrease a bit. And we might find ourselves moving from our racing minds that are worried about the future or regretful of the past. We might find ourselves more present to the here and now of God. God bless us, each of us, wherever we need your blessing the most. We pray in Christ. Amen.